Welcome to the Virtual Center for Health and Wellness, Advancing the Human Condition podcast. Our mission is to improve the human condition by learning from highly competent professionals and their contribution to their respective fields. Welcome. I am Dr. Aurelia Bickler, and I am the Center's Director. Join me in welcoming our guest, Billy Tyler, marriage and family therapist from Spokane, Washington. Billy works predominantly with couples, but does individual and family work as well, and practices from a strength-based approach. Billy is currently working on her PhD in MFT, specializing in couples at NCU, and is an adjunct faculty member at Antioch University. Thank you for joining us, Billy. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I want to hear about happiness today. I feel that as therapists, happiness is a word that is thrown at us. Very often people say, oh, you know, I'm just not happy. I don't feel happy. I just want to hear your perspective as a human and as a therapist around the word happy or happiness. How do you define it? What is your relationship with it? Talk to us a little bit. I love that. I love this topic because I feel like sometimes happiness in our society has been like developed this like mile marker of success. Like if we're not happy, you're not being successful. And um, I think happiness is one of many emotions that are so important for us um, to feel maybe more of that fulfillment. So when I think of happiness, um, I think a lot more about feeling like you have options and choices and feeling like you're getting to make those choices based off of what really matters to you, um, regardless of how easy or how good it feels along the way, but it feels purposeful and meaningful. So for my personal kind of journey, that's like what I try and think of when I get stuck and like, well, I'm not happy right now. It's like, well, is what I'm doing and spending time uh, with my energy mattering? Like, is it based off of what really matters to me? Um, and I think that pushes us a little beyond that sense of happiness and into more of that like hearty sense of fulfillment. Um, cause I do think sometimes, you know, when we're little, how often I even get myself caught in this as a parent, right? Like our kids are crying and we're like, don't cry, like, or put a smile on that face. <laughs> and we're, we're sending those messages that, if you're anything but happy, then you're maybe not, you're not okay. So. So if I'm hearing you correctly, is it okay to have moments where we don't feel quote unquote happy? I think it's completely okay. We honestly, can we really feel truly happy and fulfilled if we don't experience more kind of complexity and nuance of our experience? Like I think we need those struggles and hard times to actually sit in those moments of joy and like really let them soak in because we can get the duality of it, like what it feel, what it felt like to get there. Um, so I think a hundred percent it's, it's better. It's a lot more meaningful to have that, those feelings of tough times, because when you are feeling that joy or, um, lightness that happiness can bring, you get to like really soak it in and appreciate it. Yes, that makes total sense to me. Uh, you know what? It makes me think of a movie that I just adore. It's a Pixar movie called Inside Out. Um, we might have talked about it before. It's such a great movie. It explores the different emotions and the needs of these emotions to connect to one another and to coexist with each other. It's truly one of my favorite movies, and I highly recommend it. 
If you haven't seen it, rent it, watch it, find it. It's just wonderful. Yes, I'm often talking about that with my clients about Inside Out. It's just such a great, great movie. I couldn't agree more. I just love that movie. I have a question for you. Even as we're talking about the word happy, I keep thinking that we might be using the word happy, but are there other words that perhaps people might use to define, quote unquote, happiness? Do you maybe do you find that different words are used or maybe have a nuance to the term? Um, and maybe that nuance actually shapes the way that people uh, uh, that people think of the term or even their relationship have with happiness or fulfillment? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think sometimes when we when we just stick to happiness alone as the only word that we use to describe the feelings of joy or the things that we're talking about, it feels a, it can feel a little static, like it's something you have to arrive to and stay in. And I think um, when people can shift the language maybe to things like fulfillment, satisfaction, joy even, it starts shifting more into a more fluid experience and journey rather than a, a destination. Um, so I do think I do think words matter, right? Even if we're telling ourselves over and over, like, well, I need to be happy or I'm working for happiness, there can be a big shift in how we feel if we can even shift the words we use to say, like, I really want to feel joyful right now, or I'm doing this because it's really fulfilling and meaningful. Um, and that gives more space for more of the complexity that you might be feeling. Um, and a give a little more grace that it, if it doesn't feel good the whole time, that's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not, that it's not good and positive and successful. Right. And I love that. And it brings me to my next question, which is, can we feel a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment while struggling through something in our life? Like, is it possible to have the duality or even more than that, many emotions simultaneously? Can we feel each of them all at the same time? What does that even look like? What have you seen in your practice in that regard? Yeah, I think definitely. I think that like in my, well, first, like one thing that came to mind as you were asking that question is how many times are we reading books or watching movies or documentaries on these inspirational stories that we look at people and think, oh, they, like, they've really like, they've reached something. They're, they're probably truly happy. But if you really take the time to hear and listen to those stories, like there's a lot of trials and tribulations that usually get us there. Um, you know, like people who climb Mount Everest, I'm sure it doesn't feel good most of the way. <laughs> and it's really, really hard. And you probably feel sad sometimes, disappointed, exhausted. Yes, all of those things mixed into one. And it's not like when you hit the top, probably all of that just dissipates and disappears. It's just that you get to like have this moment of reflecting and taking it all in of like what it all accumulated to in that moment and what you put in. And I think that's where the true like joy and fulfillment comes from. With clients, especially with couples, I think... Um, relationships are hard, right? Like any of us who have been in any type of relationship, romantic ones are, I think, even more uniquely hard because we're so, um, we're so invested in them. But even friendships, parent-child relationships, all of those can also be really challenging. Um, 
But at the same time, like through many of those challenges, it's often if we can communicate and lean into those hard times together, like we come out the other side feeling more connected, more satisfied. Um, and again, just feeling more joyful and appreciative of that relationship. So I definitely have seen that with couples. And I think as a therapist, sometimes it's like, sometimes they're in the trenches. And so having a little space and not because I'm not in the trenches in my own life and relationship, but having a little space to be like, look what you're doing. Like, look what you're accomplishing together. Um, and if, if there are things that aren't feeling fulfilling, like how could we interject those back into your relationship? So that is so beautiful. And it makes me think about my clinical work too. Sometimes I see individuals who maybe are going through grief or something, and I think they feel guilty because this past weekend they were dancing and they actually had a good time, right? And they gave themselves permission to feel joy for an instant, even though they're struggling with this immense grief. It's so interesting how all of the different feelings come together and whether we allow happiness to come in and, you know, while we're struggling with something, it's, that's a big piece of the puzzle too. Yeah, I think it's a huge piece of the puzzle just to like create space for all the emotions at the same time. Very rarely, just as humans, do we experience things like black and white, where it's like everything about this was good or bad, happy or sad. Like, um, it's often a mix of things, right? Like, even huge moments in our life, you know, sometimes having a child is like this really happy, exciting moment of the future, but can also be terrifying all at the exact same time. And so I think just making space for all of that is a real, it's a real part of the journey to like actually feel a little more like fulfilled. Yeah. And, and I often think to myself that I haven't ever experienced anything that feels black or white. I I can't even think of something that feels black and white. Really, everything kind of feels like a different different shades of gray to me. I'm wondering on a societal standpoint, what are we bringing up the next generation to feel around the the idea of happiness? Are we are we are we helping them embrace the different layers of emotions including happiness, but in the way that lets them feel uh okay? And, and, and in a way that's helpful to them, what, what's your opinion about that? Maybe not so like expectational, but more um, something that is a part of a greater human experience. I mean, I think, I think about even when I was growing up and how now as a parent, I'm trying to raise my kids. I think there's already, you can see shifts in just the focus on how we feel in general. Um, I don't think 40 years ago, people were asking that many questions about how do you feel and it mattering, right? Like it was a lot more like, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? And so I think there's hope for me in that because I see like even in some of the systems like schools and um, communities, there is more of a focus on like, who are you? What's your experience? Like more curiosity around the whole experience. And I think that's going to be really beneficial for kind of our next generations to come. Um, but I still think we're in this transition phase where a lot of us who are bringing up this next generation didn't necessarily get raised in the same way. So it's easy to slip into those kind of autopilot 
modeling what we experienced, but then um, it's this like tug of war sometimes of like, oh shoot, I just said, don't cry. (laughs) Where it's like, I genuinely want you to feel like you can have feelings and feel sad um, and trying to even navigate like, what is the language around that where I can hold space for you being sad, but also maybe still take away some of that piece of like resilience and like being able to move forward as well. And so I'm super hopeful for the next generation. And I'm sure as this generation gets older, the next one's going to have even more space for more nuance and complexity of experiences. Yes, I'm, I'm hopeful too. I think you have a really great point here. From your perspective, around this topic, because raising kids today is overwhelming sometimes. And I think a lot of them feel a tremendous amount of pressure to reach a level of happiness. And I don't, I don't know that they even know what happiness actually means, right? I don't know (laughs) what that looks like or embracing the different experiences tied to happiness or even completely on the other side of that spectrum kind of play an important role. And you said it beautifully. So, for example, building resiliency, building that strength, that ability to move on and work harder and things like that. You speak about this so beautifully. I'm really enjoying that piece. And and how do we and how do you as a clinician address these types of expectations that clients might come with around fulfillment and happiness? Yeah. I think for me, coming from that strength-based approach, it's one, just like helping them slow down and recognize what they are already doing and maybe where they are experiencing joy, but maybe just aren't present with it always because it feels hard to see outside of maybe some of the other more challenging emotions that can come up. Also, as a clinician, I spend a lot of time talking about like what matters to you and really trying to help clients better um, clarify and elaborate that their sense of value, Um, because first, many of us, right, like we're kind of told what should be important to us. There's not a lot of time asking what is actually important to us. And I think finding like true fulfillment and happiness is really finding your own truth, like kind of compass of values of what really matters. And mine's going to look different than yours and even from my kids. And so it's just finding a way to really get to know that. And it's going to change, right? Like my value system now at this stage in my life and career relationships, it looks a lot different than how it looked 20 years ago. And I'm sure 20 years from now, it will also be very different. And so I spend a lot of time just like asking more questions about that. Like, so when something's really hard, instead of just being like, okay, how can we make it better? I try not to rush to that. I I don't want to model those same uh, patterns that like we, many of us got growing up, but instead just try and like pause and be like, okay, it sounds like there's a lot going on. Like, what are all the emotions that we're maybe feeling around this? And then I'm going to ask like, you know, what maybe matters to you in this? Like what's making you make these, like make this decision, like to just, again, make them feel more empowered that they, they are making choices through this, but also that, um, that a lot of times our choices, even though they're hard ones, like are based off of things that really do matter for us. Like 
You know, I got up at 6 a.m. this morning to French braid my daughter's hair. I wouldn't say that on baseline is like important to me, but I knew it really mattered to her today. And that's what's important to me. And being able to slow down at 6 a.m. and think to myself, I'm choosing to do this because it's important to me made me feel a lot more excitement and joy this morning about doing that because I knew what it meant to her and what it, it and in return what it meant to me that created and fostered so much more space for fulfillment even though I was super tired and um, not a morning person so I think that's just a, a recent example of what that can look like and how we can do that for our clients as well and what a systemic impact right what becomes important to you is really shaped from what is important to somebody you care about. And so her knowing your daughter, knowing that she, what she wants, what fulfills her, being able to share with her mother, then, then gives you a sense of importance and a sense of fulfillment through her. And so I often think about how us as therapists, what we do in the room, what we, how we help somebody come to their next version of life, right? How it spreads into the rest of the community and then how that spreads into the rest of society. And this is just such a beautiful example, what you just described as this systemic little puzzle of life through emotions. And I think with couples, I just want to know, like with couples, I think this is a really if you're working with couples as a clinician, this is a really important thing to remember because it can get hard to do some of the things that you feel like are the have tos or the expectations. But if you can get to that place of curiosity and true understanding, like sometimes something like doing the dishes every night that maybe isn't important to you, like you feel fine with having a few dishes in the sink might become something that feels a little more rewarding because you know the impact it has on on your partner. And so I think, again, and that's a definitely more connected and fulfilling relationship. For sure. I'm pretty sure this is speaking directly about my marriage right now. I'm definitely talking about my own marriage, right? <laughs> we have a lot in common here. It becomes something becomes important to me because I know it impacts his inner peace. And and that's another version of happiness, right? I mean, he'll, he'll often say things to me like, I can't function if I don't feel peace within, right? And peace within might come from those things that we do, like do the dishes. Totally. I want to just be present is a huge part of all of this, right? Like cutting through and making that space is a lot of times just anchoring into the present moment. And if you can support someone else and having a little more of that, it often one pays back, like pays forward and returns back to you. But also it, it, it does feel fulfilling for sure. That's beautiful. So do you have any resources for our listeners, both clinicians and all other humans in general to identify the things that fulfill them, uh, identify the way that they can feel a sense of satisfaction or, or happiness? Yeah. Yes. I love this question because I think it can feel kind of overwhelming <laughs> to start and just be like, where do I start to actually feel more like happiness? Um, as therapists, I think like we kind of already mentioned this, but like really shifting beyond happiness in your sessions and not uh, like being careful not to make happiness the goal and any other emotion is something that needs to be worked on or uh, processed through. Um, and again, just leading with that curiosity and asking questions about what actually matters to our clients. Um, I think as humans, something that's really helpful is just like really building a mindfulness practice, like find time, even if it's 
30 seconds a day to just notice what's going on around you, what's going on inside of you. In a way, I like to use the analogy, it's kind of like running a marathon, right? Like just because I want to be more present and make more space, just because I want to do it probably won't be enough. I have to kind of build that endurance up to that. And so building a mindfulness practice is kind of like training for that marathon. Like a little goes a long way. If you can even just while you're brushing your teeth, like, gosh, what's on my mind? What does this feel like? Um, what other feelings are coming up for me? Uh, that I think is really impactful. Another thing is just kind of with that mindfulness, taking inventory and really asking yourself, like, is where I'm putting my time and energy, like lining up with that value system? Because if it's not, then you're probably not feeling that sense of happiness and joy as often because you're not connecting to why uh why you're doing it. You wouldn't run into a burning building just for fun, right? Like you would only run in if something was really important to you. Um, and I think very much that's similar in our lives, right? Like check in sometimes and see. And then two kind of really tangible resources that I think are um, really helpful. The Reality Slip is a book by Russ Harris. Um, he's an acceptance commitment therapist. And I think it does a beautiful job of kind of walking you through like how to find that fulfilling life when even when life hurts. And so he does a beautiful job talking about his experience as a parent and some of the things that didn't weren't turning out the way he had anticipated, but how he was able to slow down, figure out what was important to him, use some mindfulness to really find that fulfillment and joy anyways. And then one of the like most, it's a pretty simple app, but it's, so it's not super high tech, but I think it's really effective. It's called Values Card Sort. It's a free app. Um, I, I know you can get it on Apple. I would guess you can get it on other um, like Androids and stuff as well. But I like to use this as almost like my compass. So if there's a time where I'm just feeling kind of down or kind of stuck, anxious, like whatever some of those quote unquote, difficult emotions are. Sometimes I'll pull that out and just go through it. Essentially goes through like some of the most common things people find valuable and you sort them into piles and then you take your top pile and sort that a little bit more and ultimately try and come down to like your top five, your top value. And I really find that helpful when I feel kind of stuck to be like, okay, if this is what I'm thinking is really important right now, how are my choices maybe, uh, lining up with that so that I can like feel a little bit more sense of that fulfillment and hardiness. So those are the resources I think are really helpful. Wonderful. And I thank you so, so much. You know, this is a difficult topic. It feels and sounds easy, but when you think about it, let's just talk about happiness. It's, it's just, it's a complex topic with so many different layers. And I really appreciate you speaking to us about this, both from, again, a human perspective and a clinical perspective. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for your time. And again, thank you again for coming. Thank you for joining us. Once again, I am Dr. Aurelia Bickler. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Please stay safe. And until next time, search within, connect to who you are, and let your inner happiness come through. Thank you. Stay tuned for our next podcast. Until then, breathe intentionally, laugh wholeheartedly, connect within, and towards people who inspire you and who bring you joy.